Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. What a wonderful presentation of the message of hope of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Appreciate so much the the ministry this morning, the narration, the songs, the the message that has been proclaimed. As we consider this focus of the angels of, of the resurrection of that Easter Sunday, why is it important to us? We have one of the entities connected with Tri-City Ministries is an academy, Tri-City Christian Academy. And there are cards that we make available to the children. They have Ask Pastor, they're for our children, our young people. And they're color-coded, so I know whether it's elementary kids or secondary. And I received one this week that I thought was interesting and really affect, it really applies to what we're considering today. I got this card. Uh, it's an elementary student, so they're not in here to hear my answer. But they asked this question. Imagine if you are a Christian and that Jesus isn't alive. Does it still make you a Christian? That is a great question. And I'm going to answer it in a few moments. But why does the resurrection matter? You know, what we have considered today, what we have heard from the choir, the narrators, is the the triumph of the resurrection. It it is central to what we believe as Christians. It's, It's the culmination of the emphasis that we considered beginning on, really, last Christmas, but on Friday at our Good Friday service of the view of the angels, on the crucifixion and now today on the resurrection you know from our perspective now we look backwards we look back on Christ's death burial resurrection we understand how these pieces have come together the fulfillment of the prophecy we we recognize that but do you realize that the prophets in the Old Testament who actually made those prophetic statements under divine inspiration by the guidance of the Holy Spirit didn't fully understand it. They tried to figure it out for themselves to comprehend comprehend what was going on. The question that we consider today is, really, whom do you seek? But for them, it was, what do you seek? They tried to understand. In fact, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that, that the prophets themselves of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and of the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then there's this add-on statement almost. Things of which the angels desire to look into. That the angels are trying to also figure out our salvation. Now, in in my mind's eye, I I have this image of angels peering over the balcony of heaven 
looking down on the earth and trying to understand our salvation. They're looking, they're observing the cosmic drama that is playing out here on earth, the stage of the world. It's, it's a drama where God pours out His amazing grace. As we heard Dr. Davis play earlier, the amazing grace to obstinate rebels. You know, history is his story. And the prophets were puzzled and sought to understand the complexities of, of how the promised Messiah would come and how he would suffer but also reign. How could he suffer and be glorified? The angels desire to look into these things. They want to catch a glimpse. They long to and try to understand our salvation. Why would they care? Why would this matter to them? Because the angels too are created beings. They too experienced a time when there was a revolt, a rebellion among their kind. And through the narration, through the songs we heard of the, the judgment and, and so, how some of that has taken place, some that is still to come. But there are a couple of Old Testament passages that provide insight into the extraterrestrial revolt that took place in heaven. There was a rebellion that was led by an angel. His name was Lucifer. His name means shining one, son of the dawn, or that shining being. Ezekiel 28 describes him as full of wisdom and perfect beauty, an anointed cherub. And at some point, he became enthralled with his own beauty, his wisdom, his splendor. He began to use God's gifts for selfish purposes. Isaiah 14 provides the character of his rebellion. In verses 12 through 14 of that passage, there are five I will statements of Lucifer. It describes his selfishness, and, and they culminate with the statement, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to gain status with God. He wanted to be like God, and as a result, he was cast out of heaven. And many other angelic beings followed him. We refer to them today, those fallen angels, as demons. And when that happened, he was never called Lucifer again. That name is never used again in Scripture after that fall. There are other names to reflect his fallen character. Satan evil one, destroyer, prince of demons, the accuser, the devil, which means slanderer, adversary, the god of this world, and the old serpent. Because he came to Eve and Adam in the garden in the form of a serpent. He convinced them to also rebel against the Creator, that they too, if they would eat of the tree of, that they were forbidden, they could be like God. The same thing he had sought to do. And that's why things are in the mess that they are today. The choir sang, soon. Soon things will change. Soon the problems will disappear. And, and we live in a world that because of sin, there are problems. There is death. Because as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death is passed to all of us because we've all sinned. Amen. Each of the Gospels has an account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the resurrection, but the the account that we read in Matthew's Gospel tends to convey the emotion of the scene in an unusual way. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles. If you want to use the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 701, and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Because here we find in this final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew the culmination, the, the climax that is of everything that has been written in this Gospel under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And what we will see is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares his victory and is the believer's hope. That is the theme I want us to consider very briefly this morning from this passage. That the resurrection is our hope. Why does it matter? Would we still be Christians if Jesus wasn't alive? Well, let's consider God's Word this morning. Follow with me as I begin reading in verse 1 of of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the news to his disciples, that word to them. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word, we pray that we too would be encouraged to not be afraid, but to rejoice because of the hope that there is in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would understand the implications for our lives and for eternal life. In Christ's name, amen. In this passage, we see the resurrection of Christ that declares victory, but also provides hope. Instead of approaching the resurrection from a a scholarly, historical, or even analytical perspective, Matthew's gospel really focuses on the emotional reaction of the group of women. It, it, It tells us the emotions of the guards that were there. And we see, though, these women are coming. They come early in the morning, pre dawn. They were the last to leave the cross and the first to the tomb. It was their great love for the Lord. They must have had difficult nights since the crucifixion of Jesus. Restlessness. I I suspect that that when these women would close their eyes, the visions of that horrible scene on Golgotha, the place of the skull, would fill their minds. The trauma of that repulsive sight that the friends of Jesus would certainly be dealing with the post-traumatic stress of that terrible ordeal. And it wasn't just the brutal treatment of an innocent man. It was the, the dishonesty 
that by which he had been betrayed, the mockery that, that he experienced as he hung on the cross. And, and then beyond that, it was the hopelessness that engulfed them. They had trusted that he was the Messiah. And so in the darkness of these pre-dawn hours, the darkness that matched the despair of their hearts, they, they gather together and come to the tomb. Rather than tossing and turning and trying to fight off those night terrors, they make their way to the tomb. They have no expectation of the resurrection that we are celebrating today. Instead, they're hoping to finish the uncompleted business of, of properly preparing the body. How did they expect to get into the tomb? I mean, the tomb was sealed. And, and, and really, that's what they're thinking about in that it's this angel from heaven that rolls back the, the stone and then uses it for a chair. He rolls it out and he sits down on it and then makes this wonderful announcement. And the announcement I want us to consider. Because the first thing that we see in this announcement is it's an announcement of comfort. Do not be afraid. I know who you seek. You seek Jesus who was crucified. Yes, that's why they're there. They brought the, the embalming spices necessary for the body. They're coming in those pre-dawn hours after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. There are several women. Two of them are named here. In comparing the gospel accounts, there's, there's at least five of them that are coming. Others are named in other places. But they make their way to the garden tomb. They come with heavy hearts, hearts heavy with grief, and, and probably assume that just getting close to the body will bring some level of comfort. But the true consolation, the true comfort comes from the words of the angel. Do not be afraid. Well, what did they fear? In the immediate context, they probably feared the angel. The, the, this holy brilliance, his, his countenance shining, his garments being white, the, the holiness that is evident there. But, but there would be more than that. The guards, hardened Roman soldiers, shook with fear and, and passed out on the ground. There's no word of comfort for them. But the fear goes beyond the mere physical circumstances. There was emotional turmoil. There was, there was doubt. There was uncertainty. And of course, there was death. No, people fear death. People today fear death. The Bible makes this clear in Hebrews chapter 2. In, in chapter 2, verse 9 of Hebrews, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, that for a little while, taking on the form of humanity, he was below the angels for the suffering of death, now crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then in verse 14 it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, the same what? Same flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. What a wonderful hope for us as humans. 
that Jesus Christ did not take on angelic form. He's not an angel. He's the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, but He took on human form. The same flesh and blood to deliver us from the fear of death. You know, it's, it's normal to have a certain level of concern, of fear about death because it's something we've never personally experienced. We've observed it, maybe. We've lost loved ones. But there's also, for many, a fear of eternity. What happens after I die? Because we're all going to live somewhere forever. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. <laughs> And so our culture pays big bucks to people who help us forget our mortality. Or at least will prolong our longevity. And we see that. We, we want to preserve our existence and not think about death. And yet the angel says, come and see. The comfort in, in the face of death is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we have a personal relationship with Jesus and our loved ones know Jesus, then we do not have the same sorrow as others. It's not a hopeless sorrow. But there is a sorrow. But we know that soon we will see them again. But beyond the announcement of comfort, do not be afraid. The, the angel spoke also of conquest. The second thing we see in this announcement is it's an announcement of victory. Do not be afraid. Why? He's risen. The resurrection is a celebration of victory. The, the tomb that was guarded. Jesus' tomb had the best security that Rome had to offer. There were multiple layers in this Roman security system. You know, we live in a day when we're concerned about security, and rightly so. Well, they had a stone. This was a formidable barrier. It was a large stone that would be rolled into a slot in front of the grave, in front of that tomb, and block the entrance. And, and it would be very difficult to move. It'd certainly be something that would be very difficult for these women to move. And if that wasn't enough, beyond the stone, there was a seal. It was the seal of Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. The, we, we read this at the end of, of chapter 27. That, that there was a concern, and, and if you were to break that govern, governmental seal improperly, there would be serious ramifications, deadly ramifications. And if that weren't enough, the stone and the seal, there were soldiers. These were battle-hardened men who had been given the task of guarding a corpse. And to guard it against grave robbers. I mean, that was the concern. The, the Pharisees, the chief priests actually understood that Jesus predicted his resurrection. The disciples had missed it. The women had missed it. But the Pharisees had not. And they said, well, what if somebody steals his body? And then they claim that he was resurrected. We need protection. So the massive stone... The governor's seal and the Roman soldiers were the security system that were available in that day. And everybody could relax, right? Vainly, they watched his bed, his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly, they sealed the dead, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose the victor. 
from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. This is an announcement of victory. He rose again. The third thing though that we see is it's an announcement of assurance. Come, see the place where he, the Lord lay. This is an unexpected invitation for these women. They weren't expecting to come see an empty tomb. They were just hoping for help in dealing with the body. They were hoping they could get in and, and prepare the body properly. That Something that had not been done in the hurriedness of, of the burial and the coming of the Sabbath day. What a joy it must have been for their plans not to be fulfilled. The angel gave them a much greater satisfaction. Come, see where the Lord lay. See the place. Why is he not here? Because he is risen. He's risen as he said. I think it's interesting that these women are the first to hear that wonderful news. Why is that? Because they were there. They came. They made the effort. They got there. How important was that to have that res resurrection? Well, let's go back to that question of our academy student. Imagine if you are a Christian and that Jesus isn't alive, does that still make you a, a Christian? Well, for us as Christians, the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection are really the hinges on which the door of Christianity swings. The cross and the crown they come together, the, the atonement and life. But you know, there are many world religions today. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, and Christianity. Islam adheres to the teaching of Muhammad. He died on June 8th of 632 in Medina. Buddha lived during the 6th or 5th century BC. He died at the age of 80. Hinduism has various philosophies and at least six different systems, but the original philosophers of Hinduism have died. Contrary to their worldviews, there is no evidence that they've been reincarnated. Judaism would look to Moses and Abraham, and, and both of their deaths are recorded in the Bible. So if Jesus is not alive, I could still be a Christ follower. I could follow a dead former founder of a religion like the others, but I would be miserable. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. I'm wasting my time. And your faith is empty. In verse 17, it says, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. We could believe, we could follow teaching, but it's worthless, it's hopeless. Paul said without the resurrection, there is no true faith, there's no salvation, there is no hope, and we're merely following another system built on false promises and unfulfilled expectations, and we deserve to be pitied. Bless our hearts. That's really what Paul is saying. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He is risen. And what a blessing that is. Because we have a confident assurance. He did what he said. 
He kept his promise. He is risen as he said. Promises made, promises kept. Do you ever doubt God's word? You know, sometimes I read it and I'm not sure it's going to work. I'm not sure how it's going to come together. I don't know if these things are really going to work out. Trust his word. He's risen as he said. The word of the Lord abides forever. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's certain. The judgment of the Lord is true. It's righteous. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are lots of religious ideas out there. I've given you the names of the leading religions in our world today. But the real question is, what does the Bible say? Trust His Word. This is the Word of God. The tomb is empty. And so the angel says, come, see. This isn't speculation. He's saying, examine. He's not here. This is reality. In fact, back in in 1 Corinthians, Paul is naming people who had seen the resurrection. If you look a little further on in this chapter, in, chapter in, in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, you find that these guards who fell to the ground are now concerned because they, they lost the corpse that they were supposed to be guarding. That's not going to go well with Pilate. So they don't go to Pilate. They go to the religious leaders. They said, he's gone. They tell what happened. They tell of the earthquake. They, they tell of the angel. And, and so they say, here, we've, we've got to get a, our story together. And here's what we're going to say. Tell them that the disciples stole the body while you were asleep. Really? That's the best you've got? These disciples were hardly this organized group that could pull it off. I mean, Peter pulled out his sword in the garden, and that didn't go real well. And, and now, they, then they fled. And these are Roman soldiers. Anywhere from 4 to 16 soldiers. And so the story is that you fell asleep, and 11 men came, moved the stone, took the body, unwrapped it because they left the grave clothes. What kind of sleeping meds are you on? I mean, I know people who would like those. And if you were asleep, how did you know it was the disciples? I mean, it doesn't even pass the straight face test. So just take the money and go. We'll cover for you. What does all that indicate? It indicates they didn't have the body. Because if they did, all you have to do is produce it. Show that he isn't risen. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us there were many eyewitnesses. It begins with the, the disciples, the apostles, and, and then it says that there were 500 at one time who saw the Lord. And even at the time 1 Corinthians was written, it said many of them are still alive and they can testify to this. This was an announcement of assurance. But the fourth thing that we see, it was also an announcement of commission. Go quickly. Tell. Look at the tomb. Linger at the tomb, but leave the tomb. They were to tell others. There were people who needed to hear the good news, the glorious hope that He is risen. He's risen indeed. 
It means leaving some things behind. When, when you come, and maybe you've come, and you've come with, with your ideas of what it takes to get into heaven, you need to look at the tomb and leave those behind. Church attendance does not save. Religion alone does not save. Good works will not save you. Baptism, membership, the sacraments, giving money, making a pilgrimage, none of these things will assure you of salvation. It is Jesus' blood and His righteous life. He who knew no sin became sin for us and shed His blood that we might receive His righteousness. He had to live a perfect, sinless life, keeping the law that He could die in our place. Have you trusted in Christ alone? Say, well, you know, I I believe all that, but I also think I have to do things. You know, imagine that you were to come to our house for a special meal. That my wife prepared a wonderful dinner, set the the table with, you know, our, our best china with cloth napkins. This is my wife's doing. If it was me, you'd get hamburgers and, and plastic, you know, utensils. But imagine that we've got this beautiful table set and, and you come and you look at this and you, you sit down and, and just as you sit down, you pull out your handkerchief and you pick up the fork and you begin wiping it off. You know, we try to avoid, you know, okay, you know, you know we, sometimes our, our water and our dishwasher leave spots, so we understand. And then you pick up the plate and you start wiping it off. And at that point, we're, we're going to ask, is there a problem? Is something not clean? Oh, no, no, everything's fine. I just want to make it cleaner. I want to do better. Now, do you think my wife would be pleased with that response? If she could say, oh, that is so wonderful. Then why is it that we think that what Jesus did to cleanse us isn't enough? Is God honored when we say, but I think my works, and if I do this and I get baptized and I do this, that I can make it? No, he's not going to share his glory. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone because He's done all it takes to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So how does this apply to us this morning? I think first of all, we need to understand those who seek Christ will not be disappointed. Come see. Come see Christ's humility. That He, the second person of the Godhead, the Word, the Word was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we were able to behold His glory, the glory of the Father. See His humility so that we recognize our need. Because when we see His humility, we should see our sin. Holy, holy, holy is what the angels cry. It's what we sang. But we are unholy. And so when we come and see, we must bow in surrender. Romans 5, 5 says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out. Acts 17, 27 says God has established things in such a way that we would seek Him and find Him. 
So Jesus, the Word, came to show us the glory of the Father. If you will seek Him, you will not be disappointed. The second thing is those who sincerely seek Christ will find Him. Come, see. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. That we would come with that attitude of adoration. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The third thing that I want us to see, though, is those who belong to Christ will seek Him. This is not a we come and then we're done. It's when we come, we are born into the family of God. We are born again. And Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So it is not our works that save us, but when we are saved, it is a life-changing faith that is played out in how we live, that we would live with His glory, glory, glory in mind. Jesus said, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. The empty tomb provides the, the security, the confidence, the power of new life. In Romans 6, 4, it says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we have a baptismal service, that's what we say. Buried in the likeness of His death. Raised to walk in a new way of living. Because when we belong to Jesus, it changes how we live. We're not earning salvation, but we're evidencing the change of life. In 1 John 1, verse 2, it says, The life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and declare to you that, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse 3, it says, This is eternal life that they, you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ. So we seek Him. And finally, those who seek the Lord should share Christ. When we seek Christ, we should tell others, come and see, go, tell. Others need to hear. You may be here today because of an invitation of somebody that would love for you to hear the message that our choir, our narrators, and now we've heard from God's Word. That's our desire. Do we understand we serve a risen Savior? Does that make a difference in your life? There was a boy, little Tommy, was born, and he was born with Down syndrome. He was a kind boy, and what he lacked in, in physical skill and mental aptitude was more than made up in his, in his gentle and gracious spirit. But as a third grader, the other third graders had trouble accepting him. They didn't understand the difficulties and the, the limitations that had taken place. And, and so in his Sunday school class, he didn't always fit in. Well, the Sunday after Easter, after the celebration of the resurrection, the, the, the teacher of that third grade class brought in the plastic eggs that we see so often at this time of year. And she gave one to each of the children. And during the Sunday school time, she said, I want you to go outside and find something that, that is an indication that illustrates new life. 
that tells us of, of, of the new life and what's happening. And so the, the children ran outside and, and went around the church and then came back and they all put their eggs on the table. And one after another, they began to open the eggs and inside one was a flower. Inside another was a leaf. One had a butterfly. And the children would ooh and ah and they would be excited about it. And, and then they opened one and, and it was empty. And the children said... It, something's wrong. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to. That's not fair. Little Tommy spoke up. He said, that's mine. They said, Tommy, you didn't do it right. There's nothing in there. He said, I did too. I did it right. It's empty because the tomb is empty. The children went silent. Little Tommy, though, having some limitations, had a perception of the resurrection. And at that point, he was accepted into the class by the other children. Not long after that incident, though, Tom, Tommy got an infection. Most children would be able to shrug it off and overcome it. It wouldn't be that big a problem, but he was not able to do so. And after a brief time of illness, Tommy passed away. At his funeral, that class of eight-year-olds with their teacher made the way, their way to the front of the church and on the altar, instead of laying flowers, they each put an empty egg in honor of the resurrection. Because Tommy's perception of the hope of the resurrection was passed on to them. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But do you have that hope this morning? Have you personally put your faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer together.